Pack it up, pack it in, let me begin. All this and more on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Pack it in. Set Tandy is set over. And tried and mega textured. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up to date news for out of date tech. How you going, Dave? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, I bought a new phone. I've sorted everything out. I mean, like two days, two days of sorting things out. I'm not even joking. I was so out of date with things. Um, I just let things slide. So two days fixing the new phone. But it's nice to be, it feels as if I'm back on top of technology again, rather than <laughs> being behind with it all. I'd accidentally gone retro with my mobile phone. Yeah. Um, Dot, you might see Dot pottering around in the background um she's had an operation so she has now there will now be no more punctuation occurring let's put it that way um she's healing up in her guerrilla warfare costume so you may see a stealthy cat in camouflage going past um and i put a self-imposed ban on games until i catch up but i'm nearly there and i was tempted by your video i was watching a video of you getting progressively more drunk yesterday <laughs> and it was fairly obvious because you finished a bottle of rum on the video um you did and i was quite tempted by you going out and going to charity shops and picking up playstation mostly playstation 3 games was it mostly um no it was mostly xbox 360 games okay. with one ps3 game because i don't currently own a ps3 so oh, if the games are cross-platform, I'm buying the Xbox 360. But I'm going to have to get one because obviously it's the exclusives like the one that I showed in the video, uh, which is yeah, so Resistance, Fall of Man, fantastic game. It's the same Xbox 360 as the PlayStation 3 era, is that right? Yeah, same era, yeah. 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 So you, you, were, you were commenting it's the last kind of physical... The last, mm. apart from Switch, it's the last kind of physical things. And mm. I was so tempted. I was going, that's a brilliant idea. And I could get those cheap. I could start collecting those brilliant. I thought, hang on a minute, Dave. There's hundreds and thousands of games in the PC you haven't gone near. You don't need a PS3 yeah. or an Xbox to access those games that you haven't chosen to play before. But yeah. the old fear of missing out was uh, was uh, was being set off by your drunken <laughs> mess of a video. It was but a bit of a mess. Storm noises. He's storm noises going past. I don't know what that was. And do you know what? Anyway, I think maybe it was a loose um, wire on my camera to the microphone. Uh -huh. But it just came. Well, you heard in the video. It just. It was just this static noise that came and went. And then last it, night, what? I was in mm -hmm. this room, and suddenly my glass with some ice cubes in it just shook on the table. Right. So I think we just have to come to the conclusion this room's haunted. That's what it is. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny, the noise, because normally any noise like that, the video, and you're like, oh, I can't be bothered with this, turn that off. Mm. It wasn't unpleasant. It was just slightly weird. It, it just sort like of came in, room. and it did yeah. about three times. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I can't explain it. So it's it's a, it's an EMP. My, my camera is doubling up as an EMP meter, and the house is haunted. It's, got, it's the only logical explanation. <laughs> How's your week been? Yeah, not too bad, other than making videos whilst maybe that was after I've been to the pub as well. Anyway, enough about my videos. Um, You're definitely, definitely what? not sober. Oh, I was, it was interesting. I, I, I almost redid the video the next morning. 
And then I thought, no, let's just post it. <laughs> anyway, um, so what did I do on the weekend? So I went to, on Saturday, went down to Fremantle um, to the Perth Games Festival, um, mainly because, so my son, Zach, he studies games art design at Murdoch University. And so he's part of a, as, as part of his projects, he's in a games development team um, with, who's in there? He's got um, Hugo, Gwen and Freya. I think that's the whole team. And they've been working on a game called Stabo Crabo. So I went down to see what that was all about, which was really cool. Um, and they've, they've put yeah, the whole... Shooting. Yeah, Stabo Crabo. Yeah, yeah. You basically... It's like a... It's sort of like a puzzle slash sandbox game and you control a crab that, for reasons unknown, has a knife and you go around stabbing people on the beach. <laughs> but there's reasons to stab the people. But I feel because like a like... crab holding a, a knife is quite credible. <laughs> it looks... It sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it happens all the time on Australian beach. Just, just crabs running around with knives <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, yeah, they're worse than the sharks. Um, but yeah, so and they've they've put the whole um, blog of their their development up. So they're not gonna they're not gonna do this as a commercial release. It's just for a project. Um, but they put it all up on um, uh, itch.io. So scuttlestudios.itch.io slash stabo dash crabo um, promotion. Yeah. Yeah, promotion for a for a free game if you want to see what their project's doing. But no, really, really proud of them to be honest. Um, it's doing well. See Stabo Crabo well. in a really Australian accent. I can't do a really Australian accent. Stabo Crabo. <laughs> you certainly can't. No, no, we'll have, we'll have Tony complaining and that's Jason true. Complaining about you. Yeah, yeah. Well, he can do um, it himself on his own podcast. <laughs> Neil Neil has Neil, Neil's away this week. He's um. He is right now doing a soldering workshopper. Well, he's not doing it. Mark Fixie stuff is doing a soldering workshop in the mill, so we couldn't make the recording today, uh, where I think there's eight or ten people being taught how to solder by. I actually think Mark Fixie stuff, despite what he says, Mark Fixie stuff is really is an expert. He knows what he's talking about, so they'll be taught how to solder. Shame I'm nice. not closer. I would I would have gone, but he has asked us. Um, he has asked us to make people aware about the Retro Collective charity calendar. Now, Neil does a charity calendar every year. He doesn't make a penny from it. And actually, uh, one-click print have always um, printed the calendars for free. And they're sent out. The postage is covered as well. So everything you pay for goes to the charity. It's not proceeds to the charity. It's everything to the charity. Um, you can participate in this in this if, if you want to. Um, the each year the the charity calendar has a, a loose theme to it, and there'll be twelve um, quite arty looking pictures of something retro in them each month. Um, sorry, twelve each year, so one each month. Um, so the theme this year is box games. Now it's quite a loose theme, so you can take that anywhere you want. So Neil says, celebrate the art, the manuals, the media with the physical joy of a box game. Get creative with your setting and arty with your photos, which need to be 1920 by 1080 minimum resolution. They need to be in landscape and space around the subject for him to crop. Do take part. All you need to do is send in the picture, and then if 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 Neil likes it enough to be in the top 12 you'll put it there there's usually i think a page at the back with some other pictures in it as well um and it's rmc calendar picks at gmail.com as soon as possible because it's, it's about to end you've got less than a week to do it the, the final deadline for submissions is friday october 
the 6th, so you've got less than a week to get those in. Um, and the charity that he's chosen this year is Sirencester uh, Opportunity Group. It's a local play group enabling, enabling children with special needs to play and learn with other children. So nice. that's kind of in the same th- same theme to what Lee did. Um, nice thing. So um, thank you. Neil says to thank the printers, one click print for printing the calendars and Heber Limited for um, dealing with the, I think the logistics as well. Um, yeah, join in if you can. Will you? Will you? I, I'm not going to do it because I, I I don't have anything to set set up to do it. Oh, um, oh there's boxes behind you, Dave. I know, <laughs> I know. Look I at keep them. saying this year I'm definitely do it. Next year I I will. Yeah, I will definitely do the calendar. I don't, I want to do this one, but pro- he probably won't print the box that I want to photo. But I'm going to photograph it anyway. I think, I think I'll do join. one that I want him to put in and one that he might uh-huh. actually put in. Yeah, that's and he can well, just have both. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it's 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 enjoyable to participate anyway. Yeah, yeah, cool. Barbarian one and two, of course. Right. <laughs> This hobby of ours is often seen through rose-tinted glasses, and we recall getting our systems back in the day as life-changing events where everything was perfect from day one. And to a point, that's true. You you couldn't rob us of the excitement of unwrapping a huge box on Christmas Day or or birthday maybe, only to find that, yes, indeed, you are now the proud owner of the latest microcomputer or games console. Or maybe you'd saved your own pocket money or worked some extra paper rounds and you've just got back from the shop to unbox and set up the system you've waited so long for. However the system landed in your lap, it was often the case that unless you were lucky, all you had was the system, the gubbins in the box to make it go, the wires and all of that kind of stuff, and not much else. So while nothing was going to wipe the smile off our little faces, truth be told, our enjoyment for the first few days or even weeks was often limited to whatever packing games it came with. Some packs were great, uh, but it seems not all packs were created equal. Uh, A story has been shared with us by Pajaco6502, and it's about one such pack and a gamer's experience uh, of revisiting the pack that came with his Spectrum Plus 2 in 1988. So the article is by Retro Arcadia on retroarcadia.blog, um, and it's about a pack called Soft 888, and it consisted of six games on cassette, and they were Punchy, Alien Destroyer, Treasure Island, Disco Dan, Crazy Golf, and Oh Mummy. And it's actually a really cool. You got some, you got some uh, memories there, Dave. Yep. Yes. <laughs> It's a really cool article, actually, and it's about revisiting these limited titles and how good or bad they actually were and how his enjoyment of the Plus 2 was limited to just these games and a pirated C90 tape from one of his friends with tons of games on it, but only one of them would actually load. Um, But, yeah, it really made me think about how day one with any new system really used to be either awesome or kind of average, depending on what you got in the box. Um, Dave, I know we've discussed things like the Atari ST Power Pack before. Have you gone back and rediscovered the packing titles? And did they live up to your memories or did they disappoint? Or even, I know you had an Amstrad CPC, you know, were there packing games with that? Definitely, I've been I've been thinking about, kind of thinking about packing games and I'll explain in a bit more detail. Uh, and I don't think I caught this bug from you. I know that you're kind of doing that as well, but I don't think I got it from you. I think it was there the whole time. First of all, the ST, the power pack was was great. For anyone who doesn't know, 
it was about 15 discs that came with the ST with about 20 odd titles on them. Actually, decent, current, good titles for the ST. So you had things like like Buggy Boy, like Outrun, like Gauntlet 2, like Double Dragon, all sorts of things on there. Um, the only thing it didn't really have was a kind of a, a, a full-on flight sim, which is maybe a bit early for those, uh, and it didn't have an RPG-type uh, game. But there was loads of stuff on there, Black Lamp, Bombuzo, Return to Genesis, all sorts of stuff on there. Um, and it was weird because it kind of set you up for a life on the high seas with a 100% discount on games because what you got, you didn't get a box with it. There was a little slip of paper manual, hmm. um, but all you got was 15 discs with what was on it written on the disc. Right. And yep. if that was ever going to set you up for piracy, I mean, that's that's what piracy was like on the ST. So it was, it was yeah. kind of set you down that, that road there. So... I've not really forgotten about these games because through the years, as I've as I've emulated the, the ST and then played the ST, they've always been there. So it's not as if I'm rediscovering those, and there's nothing really to physically collect for those. It's not as if you can go out and get. You can get. You can buy the the actual discs on eBay and then roll dice whether they work or not. But there's no real. I don't think there's a lot of nostalgia with the discs with the labels on them, and you can, I believe, get the power pack itself. But it all is, it's a cardboard shell with cellophane holding them in. And I right. think once you open it, that's it done. So there's no real appeal in getting that. But things are a bit more interesting for me on the CPC. So there were packing stuff with the CPC, but it was system discs. And my dad took the instructions so seriously that he kept them in a safe and made copies because that's what it told you to do. I, I, Usually it says, make copies, you're like, ah, I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, no, he did that. Um, and on it was a demo of what the system would do and a demo of a game called Roland in Time, which was a sort of a Jet Set Willy type game, uh, exploration game. Um, but it was in basic, it was fairly basic what came with it. But we did get some compilations bought for us. And kind of in my head those compilations that were bought for us were packing games because they came with it and they came later in christmas and birthdays but in my mind a packing game is a game that you didn't choose yourself um so yeah, yeah that, that's there so that i've been sense. recollecting yeah. them and this this is amtix accolades which is Sweewo's world um, nice. monty on the run bounder starquake um there's other ones I've, I've picked up as well. There's one I haven't managed to get hold of. Um, Ams, Amstrad 4-pack, which is Jet Set Willy, Manic Miner on it as well. Um, but there's other ones I've managed to buy that I've had or were given to me. So there's these kind of compilations here. There's all sorts of games. Ontario, Jet Set Willy's on that again. 1942, Scooby-Doo, Fighting Warrior, Zynaps, Eagle's Nest, Aliens, nice. Cauldron 2, all sorts of games that we, um, they were given, um, which in my mind are kind of packing games. And I've been going back and getting hold of these on eBay. And I've also got the intention of making disc versions myself for them as well, because buying disc versions for the, the, the CPC is, is very expensive and most of the time they don't work. So you're better off making your own. Um, 
but yeah, um, packing games, I think it's fascinating because unlike other games that you chose yourself, you were, you were given these games and you still end up having a connection to them. Um, I have I've recollected some similar stuff. I didn't find them too expensive. Um, the, the weird ones um, for me. No, they're not. They're not expensive either because yeah. nobody really seems to want the compilations. I want them just because. Yeah, that's true. That's true. What I remember yeah. having, um, and some of them, are, some of them are, are quite attractive. But most of the time, they're they're very kind of budget value save some money kind of packaging orientated so i understand why people don't want them so much but i want them because i remember having them yeah and it's the same on the spectrum like the tapes are, are pretty much well i always refer to them as free like they cost next to nothing to buy most spectrum tapes if you're in the right facebook groups but um uh, when it comes to the plus three discs say the the price is through the roof on a lot of those so yeah and I think they're just harder to get hold of because they were less made and less people bought yeah. them. So that's my theory anyway. I mean, I've I've talked at length before, obviously, about the Amiga 500 Batman pack. Great packing games. Not a lot if you just had the Batman pack. But, you know, you've got an arcade platformer in New Zealand Story. You've got a flight sim in F-18 Interceptor. And you've got Batman, which was just amazing. Plus, obviously, then you've got Deluxe Paint that kept me entertained for hours as well. So that was great. Um, my my Spectrum Plus Three when we got that, we actually got the Chart Busters pack, which I think was a Dixon's initiative. Mm, he says Rising Infliction. Um, so that came with the Amsoft disc, which they all came with, which had about six titles on, and then the Chart Busters pack, which is another six games, um, things like Great Escape, um, Short Circuit. Um, Cobra, I think. Yeah, Kung Fu. Um, so some really, really good titles there. But the one <laughs> I really want to kind of bring this back to: what if you really didn't get much at all? And and the one that puts a smile on my face for the, all the wrong reasons is: what if for Christmas when you wanted a Commodore sixty four, or maybe you wanted a ZX Spectrum forty eight K, instead what you unwrapped was the Acorn Electron. <laughs> With nothing but the introductory cassette. <laughs> Do you remember that? Do you remember seeing that at all? So it's it's a lovely brown, a really enticing brown cardboard box that the introductory cassette comes in. Um, nothing enticing on the front or back whatsoever and no real information on the inside either. That's just kind of blank. Um, so you actually have to go into your your user guide for the Acorn Electron. And uh, I'm sure you've all got your user guide. So if you'd like to turn with me to section four, which is on page nine, you'll get all the information about the introduction cassette. And funnily enough, it's the dirtiest page in this entire, most of this manual looks like it's never been read apart from these these pages. So everybody clearly just turns to the information about the introduction cassette. So what did you get on you? This, You've just unwrapped it for Christmas. It's not the machine you really wanted, but it's what you've got. These are all. The, this is all you've got to entertain yourself for the next few days until the shops open. Um, there's a program called Keyboard, which apparently teaches you how to use the keyboard. Um, there's a program called Sketch, so a bit of a drawing package. There's Piano, so you can make yourself some music by stabbing at the keyboard, which you've now just learned how to use. Um, there's Dodgems, so there is a game, and it's a bit like Dodgems was an Atari 2600 game, I think. Um, you had a maze, so it's not as exciting as it sounds. There's like a maze, so you think it's Pac-Man, but then you realise you're, you're basically controlling a car. One's going 
one way clockwise, the other one's going anti-clockwise, and you have to try and avoid, you know, by swapping lanes. Don't know if you remember that. Um, but that's that's dodgems. What else we got? You got. Um, so I'm just have to put my glasses on. <laughs> it's getting serious now. I can't actually read this without my glasses. Um, okay, you got biorhythms. You can plot your biorhythms. So you know it's like it's like a Fitbit in in uh, Acorn Electron clock. There you go. You can program the time. Gamoku, no idea. It was like a board game apparently. Um, message uh, patterns. Anyway, the one good game on here. In my view, some people might have very fond memories of the introductory cassette, and I've just ripped into it. But you've got Mars Lander. So that's just a ripoff of, of Lunar Lander, yeah. but it's essentially the same game. And we had hours of fun, not just landing the, the, the thing, but when we got bored of that, we'd just try and see how fast we could make it impact because it would tell you how fast <laughs> you were going. So that kind of turned into a sub game for us. Uh, which is great fun. Uh, Bug Zap, so a bit of a shooter. Island and Planets, which is just a animation. So imagine that. You've got an Acorn Electron for Christmas, and that is all you've got until the shops open for the Boxing Day sales. Um, I reckon. I reckon you'd be all right. I reckon there's enough. Think- I remember I remember when I got my 6128 and there was the demo disc with it, the, the demonstration of what the Amstrad could do. Mm. I was fascinated by it. And it yeah. wasn't even it wasn't even sophisticated. It wasn't like a a demo you'd see from the from the scene. It it was just dr- basic routines to draw stuff. I was still fascinated by it. But nice. I don't think when I got the ST the second time around, I got a, a micro. I don't think it would have would have helped there. I think yeah, the ST came with loads of games, and that was a good thing. I I couldn't have sat and watched a demonstration the second time around, but the first time you got your your own micro in your own home, yeah, I think I would have I would have been fine with that until the shops opened. Yeah, yeah, and I bought Elite. Nice, nice. Yeah, it would be the same with the Amiga. I mean, imagine being stuck just with Workbench and nothing else. Not even yeah. Deluxe Pack, just Workbench. I mean, how many times can you make um, make it swear and still be entertained? Okay, there's a couple of days worth in there maybe. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is the more, the more I actually read this article and looked at those games um, from this soft 888 pack, um, the more bells were actually ringing and Alien Destroyer and Treasure Island were definitely unlocking some memories. So I think maybe my mate Steve or possibly another friend, Sean, they had Spectrum Plus 2s before I got my 3. So maybe they got those games and I played them at their houses. And, in fact, I, I hit Steve up with a photo um, and asked him if he remembers them and he said um, he remembers some of them. So maybe it was at his house. I don't know. Um, I mean, the truth is, back then, we were just happy that any game actually managed to load at all. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm just a big, even to this day, I'm a big fan of packings. And to be honest, it's another reason why I've not bothered jumping on board with the PS5 yet. No one's selling an attractive bundle. And so, you know, to get my cash, Sony, you have to compete with memories of November 1989, Amiga 500 Batman pack. So lift your game. We are sponsored thank you very much, by Pixel Addict Magazine. But today, let's talk about something they're doing, which is a one-off special called Amstrad Addict. Neil isn't here today, but I know he's excited about it, and I'm excited about it. Really, actually, properly excited when I heard about it. Um, A whole magazine with Amstrad getting the Pixel treatment. Um, Neil and I, and in fact, Duncan, producer Duncan, uh, who's anything is right now, are all Amstrad fans, and it doesn't get a lot of attention, and we feel it should get a bit more. 
So this magazine is a one-off special. Well, I say one-off, they've no plans to do another one. Maybe if everyone buys it, they'll do more. And there is a huge, massive, big, big scoop. They've got an actual interview with Lord Alan Sugar in it. Uh, now that's... Oh, wow. Totally unexpected. Yeah, it's totally unexpected. As far as I know, I've never come across him talk about the CPC in any real detail or depth. Uh, he mentions it, he'll, he'll tweet about it, um, but it'll be really fascinating to hear from him about it because when I look back at the CPC compared to what Amstrad did before it, um, Amstrad were doing stereos that were famously the, the mugs I fool, the famously, this is what people want their stereo to look like and they're not so bothered with what's inside. And you could say that about the CPC because it's designed to look like a powerful microcomputer with the, the, the proper keyboard rather than what you saw in the Spectrum and elsewhere. And it had the color-coded keys and so on. But it was a very competent computer. It was very powerful, reliable, well-made, and all the rest of it. And I don't really understand why they went... I don't really understand why Amstrad made it so well I mean, the, the, the monitor is, is great quality as well. They, they could have gone a lot cheaper on it. But also, Roland Perry's been interviewed, who's felt to be the father of the machine. In fact, the Amstrad character Roland, I mentioned earlier on, Roland in time, uh, from all those Ams, all Amsoft games, is named after Roland. So you can pre-order it now. Um, go to pixel.addict.media. Um, it's got a wonderful cover, which I'm sure Duncan has scrolled past, which has so many little details on it. Um I've already pre-ordered my copy. I hope it's successful. Hope it does well. Um, and I did, I did ask myself a question: What if you're not a big CPC fan? Would this be good for you? I think it would. Uh, I think it, they've gone for a broad level of, of 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 CPC content. So I think it'd be interesting for people who even aren't CPC fans or don't know a great deal about it. Did you did you look at it at all? I looked at the um, looked at the cover art. Yes, yes, yeah. Look fantastic. There's not yeah. obviously we, we, there's nothing to read yet other than what's yeah. going to be inside of it. I'm really excited by it. So yeah. thank you very much for sponsoring us, Pixel Addict. Um, of course they have the mag their own magazine, but Amstrad Addict really excited about. It will surprise no one to hear that I'm not an expert on anything. There's a few things I know about and lots of things I can blag my way through, but there's some things I'm mostly ignorant about this week. I've picked one. A couple of submissions maybe do this. The first is from G7VFY, who links the hashtag SEPTANDY. So September and Tandy as a portmanteau, is that the right word for it? Um, which on YouTube will give you a list of hundreds of videos which are tagged with that. And it goes over the past, I think, the past four years, perhaps longer. Uh, the idea with it is a way to encourage some Tandy coverage and to get creators to choose to do Tandy in September, and also to, to find a way to get people to find other Tandy content easily. And the second was from MC Hellspawn, who said they grew up with uh, and love the Tandy and would like us to cover it. Um, so as far as that's concerned, we'll cover what people submit. So if people submit it to the subreddit, um, then there's more chance of us talking about it. So if you want Tandy stuff covered, then submit it. Um, now, I've been dipping in and out of it. There's loads of stuff going on. So do have a look through there, click through the video, see what takes your fancy. Uh, but here's a quick Tandy 101 for anyone who, like me who isn't too well informed. 
So the first one was the TRS-80. It's a mono thing with a built-in monitor. Uh, it looks a bit like a Commodore PET, but I think it looks a bit nicer. And it's not jo- the keyboard's the keyboard's separate. It's not joined to the main unit. And in fact, it's one of the three micros from 1977, the, the, the Commodore PET, the Apple II, and the TRS-80 were the three home micros that came out that were really the first mainstream ones that didn't come from a kit. Not so popular in the UK. We didn't appear to have the disposable income for them, but they were popular in the, relatively popular in the USA. It took the next kind of generation for it to get really popular. Um, Tandy had an advantage because Tandy had hundreds of retail shops to sell them in. And they later renamed that one to the Model 1 because they came out with other ones, other successors to it. They also came out with the, the TR8, TRS-80 color computer, which is not backwards compatible. Um, and I did pronounce that without the U, as is the fashion in America, in the, in the word color. Um, I think they were nicknamed the Trash 80. And I kind of liked the name until I found that some fans don't like you been called that so i don't want to upset anyone so i don't call them that but what people tend to call it and i think a really nice name for them is the coco coco what a nice name for it um the color computer and they went wedged for these and they first came out i think in 1980 they're quite basic i mean they're, they're not like the c64 it's not they've not got a, a full chipset of co-processors going on and they're not as graphically powerful as the cpc and in fact, I would put them as the North American equivalent of the Spectrum. They were they were quite inexpensive. They were a bit, no offense to the Spectrum, but they were a bit nicer to type on. Didn't have those rubber rubber slab keys, the chiclet ones, as they're so called. Um, but they they were very inexpensive. But they do have a, a big following of people who are um, who love them for what they are, uh, what they were when they had them. Um, they succeeded it with the Coco Two and the Coco Three. The Coco Two was mostly a cost down. Uh, and the Coco 3 was a bit of an expansion. It could run faster if it wanted to and had better graphics. Uh, but they were, were still compatible with the models below. And throughout the series, they were inexpensive. And they're also closely related, of course, to the whale's answer to micros, the Dragon 32. So the Dragon 32 and 64, that was the worst Welsh accent ever, anyone's ever done. The Dragon 32 and the 64 were produced to the same spec. Now, they get called clones sometimes of the Coco, and it's wrong to say that because the Coco was built to a Motorola spec and the Dragon was built to a Motorola spec, so they're, 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 they're brother and sister perhaps, uh, but I don't think it's fair to call them clones. So a lot of what you have in Septandi is on the TRS-80 series and the Coco, but that's not all because the other big Tandy thing is the, the Tandy 1000 which is a sort of remake of IBM's IBM Junior, which is a, a a failed attempt by IBM to bring a kind of lower-cost IBM out for home users. Um, the Tandy 1000 was more or less North America only. I mean, you could get it here, but it didn't really take off. So we didn't really see it here, but it did leave its mark. When I get into PCs, I kept seeing reference to Tandy sound and Tandy graphics. So what was going on here was that Tandy was filling the gap that the PC had because it didn't really have good sound or graphics at that point. And they made their own specification and it was called Tandy compatible there. And of course that lasted until we got VGA ad lib and sound blasters and it was left behind. But I think it's fair to say that Tandy 1000 
opened door for a lot of games on the PC. Um, the IBM Junior kind of opened the door and then went away, and Tandy 1000 came in its place. And, of course, there was a series of these as well. Um, and there's also the, the Pocket Computer 2, which was had limited success, um, and I, I know nothing about, um, but mostly it tends to be the Tandy 1000 series and the TRS-80 and the Coco. Uh, Tandy is a, is a big deal in North America. TRS is Tandy Radio Shack. I think it was Radio Shack branded stores. And in the UK, we get Tandy branded stores. Um, and you could buy all sorts of stuff. That's where you would go for components before the internet. But when the internet came about and they started, they started leaning into selling electronics tat rather than that kind of thing, um, Eventually, it died off and we lost them all. Now, Chris, I would assume you haven't come across the micros, but did you hear about them at all and did you use the shops? Um, I, I don't, I've got no conscious recollections of, of the machines, the micros, and that's not to say I I'm, did we get them in the UK? Did they actually come out? Because what I remember, there was lots of things that looked kind of like a BBC micro or, or, or yeah. slightly smaller versions, and I never knew what they actually were. So, do you know what I mean? I don't know if it. it, it, it Surely they would have sold them or tried to sell them at you some would have thought, point through yeah. his life. You would have thought so. But they didn't they certainly didn't catch on. They, they weren't popular like 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 lots of other things. Yeah. It was the same I think it was the, the problem was that if you took a, a micro back then from its home country and took it somewhere else, the price went up and then it just couldn't compete with the home ones. Yeah. That's why the, the spectrum didn't really catch on in, in the, the USA and the USA ones were undercut by the spectrum. And really, only the Commodore sixty four existed in both places. I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, it's possible I touched one in a shop, but like I say, no conscious memories of that brand. But certainly, the shops. I absolutely loved Tandy as a shop, um, and I used to use it to get cables and connectors and stuff like that. And um, uh, I was actually quite sad to see it close. I think they closed down from my research around ninety nine two thousand was the final death knell. Um, I think they were merged into Carframe Warehouse from what I read on the internet earlier. Um, and that's probably when the TAT started to come in as well. Although I do remember that sort of selling a combination of TAT and, and useful components. But I was actually quite pleased. So I'd seen them close down in the UK. Um, and then when I moved to Australia at the end of 2020, uh, 2002, um, they were actually still here. They were still in, in fact, in one of the first shopping centres I went into. There was a Tandy store right by the entrance. So that was really cool. And it was as I'd remembered it. You know, it had the, the components, the, the cables, everything that I would have gone for, got, gone to Tandy for in the UK. That's what I could buy in Australia. So it was great. Um, but it didn't last very long because <laughs> they were phased out. They were actually bought out over here, which is why they survived a bit longer. They were bought out by Woolworths, which over here is a um, supermarket. Is what Woolworths is over here, um, but so they were owned by Woolworths, and then they were just generally slowly phased out. And I think by about 2011, they're all gone. Um, we do have. Uh, it's interesting to say about the internet because the internet's definitely the cheapest place to get components, um, and especially if you're buying in bulk. But we've got what I would call modern equivalents of Tandy over here, and they and they they're surviving very well. Uh, and the two stores I'm thinking of are J Car. And Altronics and Altronics still you you can pick up their catalog. It's a massive fat book and it's just got every component you could ever think of. It's not quite true, but it's got a lot of stuff. Um, and they're 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 aiming it at hobbyists 
bit like us um, and they'll have like project suggestions like you know building a mini arcade cab from a raspberry pi for example um so Altronics are really good j car is kind of they're a bit what tandy uk became because they they still have trays and trays of useful components and they also have a whole spectrum of complete and utter tat that they'll happily sell you, especially on the run up to Christmas. <laughs> so, but yeah, love it, love it. And I'll still pop into either of those two to to grab my D9 and D25 connectors. Um, sadly, neither of them have D23s. Boo. A weird thing to want a D23. Why would you possibly <laughs> want that? Uh, what machine um, has that? connection I yeah think. i i wonder if there's now if you think there's if you say there's you know you think you know there are if there's two shops in australia that still sell components i wonder if i'm just an idiot and there are shops in the uk that do sell components because i wouldn't even think about going anywhere else other than ebay mouse or digikey etc cbc final to get the components it wouldn't cross my mind to look to look in a shop for them because I, I assume they're all gone, but maybe someone can correct me. Maybe maybe some of them do exist. Now, going back to the, the start of the story, though, what about any other hashtag months? Have you have you watched any of those happen before? Um, December is the one that springs to mind yeah. straight away. I've never participated in one, but I think it's a really cool way to sort of just bring a topic together, kind of brings a community together, if you like. Everybody's sort of concentrating on the same thing, a bit like video responses. Um, and I've now got the 386 set up. I'm literally just thinking now. So I could I could actually participate in December this year, maybe. That would be good fun. I think, I'm not sure which came first, whether it was December or Septandi came first. I right. wonder if someone could maybe answer that in the comments. But I think they're the big two. And there's lots of attempts to get other things going on. But I think they're the big two, December and Septandi. And I've, I, as much as I like December, I kind of like Septandi because... The, set, the the Tandy community is much smaller, mm. and it's a it's, it's a nice, friendly, cozy community. It's nice to see them kind of spread their wings and do something as big as this that everyone can see. Um, and what I get from watching YouTube videos and old micros isn't I'm not just looking to find out what's the most powerful one they had and the Sharp X sixty eight thousand. I get a lot from hearing people who are really fond of them talk about them and what their memories are and all the rest of it. That's what I get from Septandi. There's such a, a kind community around the Coco, especially when they team up with the, the Dragon community because it was like separated at birth kind of thing. They they existed and they didn't really know about each other back in the day. And now it's like, oh, yeah, there's a whole community into the same thing we are across the pond. So it's, it's nice that way. And if you want more of that, there's a Coco show uh, which may be familiar to lots of our listeners who are back from the, the Amigos days because it's part of the Amigos network, the Coco Show. Um, give that a wee listen if you want. As for the hashtag, go and click on it. Uh, in previous years, there's been a, a playlist made up for the whole year's submissions. I can't find one right now, but as we're recording it, it's the 25th, so it's not quite the end of the month. It, this, this has been broadcast on the last day of Septandi, so maybe there's a, a playlist will appear. And if it's the case... I'll add it on to the description or I'll add it on as a pinned comment. Let's go into the house. Housekeeping this week. Um, there are some stories that I noticed maybe worth a look. Uh, there is... <laughs> The top submission this week at the time I looked 
is a picture of a pile of pixel addict magazines beside someone's bed with the, and they just captioned it, real men keep pixel addict by the bed. And it obviously it's a bit of fun, but I'm surprised that other people enjoy it as well. So yeah, um, pixel addict, keep it beside your bed. Uh, there is a link to the 6502 song, which I'm afraid I clicked out of within a few seconds and my my, my, my cringe went too high on it. Um, it's a song about the 6502. And a link to Do- Daughter Reacts to Mega Drive. And that's something that we're seeing a lot of that now mm. is get young people to look at old tech and see how they respond to it and film their, their exaggerated responses to it. Uh, and there is Base MX. Now, did you read what Base MX is, Chris? <laughs> I did. I thought you might pass to me with that question on this. It, it seems to be a sensible way of of bringing um, the the stereo, the beautiful stereo sound of Paula on the Amiga, a bit more central. So, so not yes. not turning it in mono completely, because you know why would you do that? But but bringing bringing the bass sounds at least more center. Is is what I understand yeah, of it? Is clever. that correct? Yeah, yeah. It sounds very um, clever, actually. You and I had a little bit of a discussion <laughs> about this, um, and I don't actually think we're disagreeing on it. I think you think yeah. we're disagreeing, but I, I don't think we I are. I don't. I don't. The, yeah. Well, yes, yes, the, and the no. Amiga, <laughs> I'm disagreeing with whether chip. or not we're disagreeing. <laughs> the Paula sound chip on the Amiga has four channels, mm-hmm. and they are they have been rooted to two on the left and two on the right. And if you want to make music on the Amiga, you've only got four channels. You will not do those. To, to do those in proper stereo, you then drop down to two channels because you need to have, you need to duplicate it on, on both channels. Yeah. And most of the time that doesn't happen. So most of the time they use four channels really as if they're, as if it's, as if they're all in the center. Uh, and that's why, People like Hoffman, for example, thinks the Amiga sound better in mono. And I, I do agree. If you've only got the two options, you've only got hard, if you only got hard separation where a lot of the time it's not meant to be separated, or you've got mono, I would choose the mono. But there are games, you've mentioned quite a few games mm-hmm. where the games themselves use left and right. Uh, yeah, and obviously yeah, they if you do. listen to yeah. it, if you take that away, you, you lose that stereo separation. Yeah. Uh, but Base MX was was um posted to the subreddit by the creator. There's a link there'll be a link there with uh he's got sound samples of it as well. And what he's thought is that the bass sounds really the bass sounds sound ro- sound wrong if they're hard separated. So he's yeah, to put they should in the be center. Yeah. And that makes that makes a bit of a difference. Um I have I have put, uh, I have just converted all channels to mono and center. In other words, they're on both speakers, and Chris is outraged at me for it. Furious. I was, furious. I was, you will never forget. I me. was, I was actually, I was actually surprised. The reality is, I was surprised because, and I'm going to stand by a comment I, I put in the Discord chat, which a couple of people found quite amusing and thought I was going crazy. But the, the stereo sound for me, when I first discovered it and, and listened to it, you know, and, and realized mm-hmm. the difference was like VR for my ears. <laughs> it was like, you know, and so the Amiga, whilst there are, you know, some limitations in like you discussed there, how it separates it. Um, as soon as I realized that it had two separate channels, 
I found an amp and I plugged my Amiga into a nice big stereo speakers and it never changed. So for me, I'd gone from mono sound through the RF modulator to having this near VR experience. And so it was actually surprising that somebody would want to reverse it because for me it was like, what what are you doing? Like that's one of the best things. But I, I get where you're coming from, and and I think what it what it also comes down to is well in some um, in some instances I know like musicians for games they were forced into actually you've only got one channel you know for your music because yeah. the game yeah. taken up everything else so there was not much they could do. But I think when when you're playing with mods and obviously what you've done is reversible, so you can you can switch back at any time. Yeah. But but mods because. I mean, you only have to spend like 10 minutes in Soundtrack or a Pro Tracker, same thing, to understand how these channels work and how you would center something and it's sound in balance because you'd basically put that same sound in two channels, one left, one right, and you'd bring the volume down a little bit because now it's louder because it's playing. Yeah. So you bring the volume down a bit. And then you can, because you can tweak the volume, you can have some nice bouncing around stuff, bouncing from left to right purposefully. And also you can pan by, again, adjusting the volume over time. So a good mod track uses how the Amiga does music to create something amazing, to create something beautiful that you just don't quite get in any other area of music. It could. I mean, a good mod track could could if it chose to on the other hand a good mod track might say i need all four channels all the time because i've got lots going on in it and mm-hmm. i know that in later games like turrican 2 and the amiga had this uh, it was actually ported from the atari st uh the the the, the sound for it what they did for the, the st was they can comp- they condense things into 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 several channels into one kind of thing so for the mm-hmm. amiga they, they ended up i think with seven channels instead of four right i, I not sure that my details are correct in that, but the the idea is there. They managed to they managed to condense it down. So I guess if you had the CPU cycles for it, you could end up with a game on the Amiga that that had stereo that had the music in both sides and panning if you wanted, and you had sound effects on both sides. But of course, what we what we often got on the ST and the Amiga was the horrible disappointment of choosing between music or sfx oh that's just a reality of it yeah yeah just a reality look some of our favorite games lotus fantastic choosing your own soundtrack in lotus you know like you're using the car stereo but if you did that you didn't even hear the engine (laughs) and if you're into racing you got to hear the engine you got to hear the engine yeah yeah just limitations of the day anyway turn it back into stereo let's move on as you know, Dave, I've no issues running my old machines on modern flat panel displays, and I know you love that. Um, but where I do draw the line, and I've mentioned it nothing before. Wrong with it. No, there's nothing wrong with it. But I, I, even I, I, I draw the line at the N64 because it just looks hideous on a flat screen. Um, and I know the N64 isn't everybody's cup of tea, but I've got so much love for the system and really fond memories of it as well. It just looks so bad on a flat panel. So. It's the main one that's plugged into a CRT TV that I've got in the corner. Um, it's just it's really pixelated and blurry um, when, when you look at it, and, and the, the flat panel somehow makes that more obvious, um, even though it looks acceptable on a CRT. Um, the reason is that the N64 games look so blurry is basically most games on the N64 are 3D poly, as we know, with texture mapping, but the texture maps are very low resolution, so that's where you get the blurriness coming in from. Um, but not anymore, thanks to some work by a very clever chap called James Lambert. Uh, what James has done is 
take the principle of mega textures, ID software's method of swapping out textures depending on how close you are to a surface, and he's applied this to the N64. Um, detail, details are all in a video that he's put out, uh, and he's, he's rocking 40 meg of image data in this demo that he's put together, um, and a maximum texture, sorry, the max texture map size is 1024 by 1024, uh, and this is on a an N64, remember, you know, so you've got texture maps of 1024 by 1024 with obviously different scaled down versions that will be viewed when you're further away from the surface. So the closer you get, the clearer the image. That's how it works. Um, the, sh the scene he shows in his tech demo is like the inside of an ancient building with pews and stained glass windows and some really nice texture throughout. It, it looks absolutely stunning. Um, in his video, James openly discusses how he gets textures to load only when being looked at um, because you've only got 4 meg of RAM. So even though you've got your 40 meg of image data, you've still got to process that through 4 meg of RAM. Um, and he talks very openly as well about the trade-offs in terms of you've only got a limited number of textures because they're higher resolution. Um, and you've also got to work with a, a reduced poly count as well. Um, far below what the N64 can actually push out. So, no, you're not going to use this technique to upscale Goldeneye or Perfect Dark, okay? It's just a tech demo. It's a proof of concept, and, and James is very clear about that. Uh, but as he mentions, you could easily make a game for the N64 using this technique. You just have to make some design choices about the scale of the game, you know, the play area, or you, you're going to have to repeat the, the same textures. Um, so the game is going to have to have a very similar look throughout. Um, Dave, I think we'll both agree this is pretty amazing to see coming out of an N64. Um, but what do you think about making these old systems do things they never did? Does it, does it kind of break the nostalgia? No. No, I don't. I don't think it does. As, as to this in particular, um, I, I think the important one of the important things that comes comes out of this, and you, you did touch on this, he's not saying N sixty four games could look like this, because while they could look like this, he's shown it. You couldn't get a game to do that because you, yeah. it would. It, you couldn't get all you need to do is a game to do this. So he's not saying the games could look like this. He's not saying you can make a game like Goldeneye. Double um, Seven, he could improve it that way. So there's that there, but I, I don't. I, people are people are innovative. People find people find things that they can do. Yeah. So maybe someone will take that technique and they'll make a game that works around, it and you end up with a game that that really doesn't feel as if it's limited, and it ends up with these 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 wonderful textures. As far as breaking nostalgia and so on, I like it as long as they can do it without cheating. So, I think was it Dragon's Lair on there was it ZX eighty one Dragon's Lair. It was a machine that had no no business playing it, but really yeah. it was being fed the video. So it right. was it was almost cheating if you mean it wasn't it wasn't doing it itself, and it was being fed the video I think from something like an SD card with a capacity that they just they couldn't dream of. And right. you sometimes see machines with Raspberry Pi add-ins in there. And when you look yes. at how powerful the Raspberry <laughs> Pi is, it's a hundred times more powerful than the machine itself, if not more. And yeah. it feels a wee bit funny there. I, I'm okay I know with what the Raspberry Pi. Yeah, I'm okay with the Raspberry Pi. So the, the Amiga's got the the Pi, the, Pi, the Storm. Pi Storm. Yeah, I, I'm actually okay with that because. Oh, okay, okay. Mm. I'm okay with that because it's doing a co-processor thing, and then the yeah. rest of the, the the Amiga chips are still being used. So yeah. I'm okay with that, but. 
there's there's a point at which it kind of crosses over and turns into really is this just a is the computer now that the old micro just really an IO back plane while something else is just totally taking control? Um, but I do like pushing the games to the limit. We saw that with the, the CPC game Pinball Dreams. Um, Pinball Dreams was a, was an, an Amiga and PC game. It was Amiga first, and the PC version it came out at a point where the PC was was more more capable. So the PC version is not a downgrade on the Amiga. They're both basically the same. They are. But I love someone them. did it for the Amstrad CPC, and it is phenomenal. It's it's just it's so it's so good. I mean, it, it's it's got a, a, it's just absolutely amazing what they can do when they push it to the limit. And you've got Vespertino coming up for the the cpc has been coming up for years and years and in fact it was mentioned in that in that it's going to be mentioned in the amstrad addict magazine but vespertino and so on pushing it to the limit i love to see machines being pushed to their limits you i heard you talking about things like is it group gloom and doom and, and um, uh, uh, dread 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 on the yeah a500 yeah yeah, it's fascinating to see those things being done. Mm. I don't think they always end up being the best of games because they're in the shadow of what they're trying to do, but it's fascinating to see someone saying, right, let's get the hardware to do just a little bit more. Uh, yeah. It's almost like, it's almost really what the demo scene's always been trying to do. So, yeah, I, I do enjoy seeing things being, being pushed to the limit. It always makes me think about um, graphics versus gameplay. I mean, as he discussed in the video, there is a trade-off. If you wanted to make a game, it's going to be quite limited. And so, you know, you're really making a choice. Do I want it to look good or do I want it to play good? And, mm. you know, um, and back in the day, you know, when, when we got an N64 or even, you know, before that in the micros, micros and stuff that we always talked about, the gameplay was there because it, it had to be good gameplay because the graphics weren't. And you've got the imagination gap, which you often talk about, you yeah. know, and, and that works. You know, it's our brain doing the processing, if you like, um, to, to make what is on screen appear better to our brains than it actually is. Um, yeah, sort of more engaging. Um, so here's a choice. Uh, you mentioned Dread on the A500, and, and that, that's a good example of a project that's not stalled. That, 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 that would be me speaking out of turn, but I think what's happened is Dread has become the engine. And is Grind the name of the game? I can't I can't remember what it's called. Oh, I don't know. But basically it's kind of split. So you've got the engine and now they're, they're still working on a game, and I really hope that that does move forward to completion. I'm still waiting on a box game that I can play. And again, that's amazing seeing... You have to remind yourself it's an Amiga 500 and how limited that is. Because, yes, the Amiga did have first-person shooters, but any of the good ones, they were on the AGA machines. Because And, and they really do need, I'm going to say the word need, uh, most of them need uh, an accelerator to, to really engage with them. Um, and then there's this freak of a, of a programming, you know, entity mm. called dread that is running on a stock amiga 500 and and the weird thing about that is dave is that's amazing but when i play it it feels like i'm playing a pc game because p because fps's of of that caliber yeah. were only yeah. available on the pc and it's like this isn't this isn't right i'm playing it i love it but it, it's mm. the wrong machine in front of me it's it's a weird mm. thing but yeah. i don't care don't stop developing it guys i want to play that game when it's completed back on topic to this n64 project by james i really like it it's jaw dropping and you have to remind yourself that this is being produced by an n64 because it's easy to forget 
Um, do te- check out James's video, uh, and as always, we'll put the links in the show notes. But also check out his channel, which is um, Happy Coda nineteen eighty nine on YouTube, because he's detailing his project to port Portal, no pun intended, onto the N sixty four as well, and he's made a lot of. Uh, progress on that project and that looks stunning thanks james for letting us use some of your footage in today's show and also to use our retro hacking mod 2 for linking this story in the subreddit without excellent submissions like this one we literally would not have a show last week we talked about starfield having some links to the classic space game elite and we asked you for your space based gaming memories obviously elite will be popular here and that's fine but are there any other titles which took you out of this world? Did you and your friends discuss tactics for Elite, etc.? So let's have a look. The top one I have taken is out of contest mode. Nice. So the top answer is from LC, MC Hellspawn. So that's twice he's been mentioned. And he says, does Descent count as a space game? Yes, it does. Mm. You're flying a ship around in full 3D space, so I think it does. You're right. I love that. That game spent many hours playing 1, 2, and 3. I'm actually working now on building a period-correct rig to play these games. Good. Uh, And you'll find it's not too expensive or too difficult to do it. There's lots of hardware out there, and they're great games. Um, You get that, that, the shooter plus, plus you get the the freedom of movement. It's amazing. Next. The second one is from Glenn, CRG, YouTube, um, CRG YT, sorry. Oddly enough, Elite is one of those games I've never played. I did, however, play an awful lot of Frontier Elite 2, good man, on my A1200. Uh, But everyone is familiar with uh, that. So instead, I'll jump forward to 2003.2 Freelancer on the PC as a favourite. It was probably the first space game after Frontier that really pulled me in. Unlike Frontier, there is a story to play through, but it still does seem to have an element of open-world freedom. Uh, You can run plenty of side quests in between the main campaign progress. And I think what I liked about it it, compared to other space games of the time was it was a very simple game to just pick up and play, uh, as in there's no big learning curve. I remember trying the X games around the same time but could never get into them. They looked pretty but were too complicated. Yeah, some good choices there. I did play. I, I played um, Freelancer for a little bit. Oddly enough, I didn't get into it. I, I was more into um, Frontier Elite too. But yeah, cool. Mm. Next one is Antiques for Geeks. It was a strange little title I picked up from a small computer shop on a back street. One of those transient ones that popped up for a year and then closed when the lease was up called Space Shuttle Simulator from Americana. The cover art was completely different to the game. It's never happened before, has it? Um, You had to fly NASA's space shuttle to pick up and repair a satellite and then chase after Halley's Comet. The game was fiddly, and I could never get past the first stage. That's a common theme for these space simulator games. Um, What's more, the game's never-ending Toccata and Fugue in D minor soundtrack soon wore me down, discouraging me from spending more time to master it. Still, when people talk about space games, it's the one I always remember. I bought Drop Zone the same day. I should have chosen that to talk about instead. Oh, well, I'm out of time. I guess now I'll shut up. There's quite a few there. There's lots of things mentioned. There's a few people mentioning uh, Elite and talking about Witch Space and Thargoids. Um... Jeff Minter's Sheep in Space. Fisk said to read it out that way. 
Um, Starglider mentioned a few times. Tau Seti. Uh, lots of stuff we mentioned. Wing Commander. Um, Jacko talks about an Amiga public domain game, and there's loads of public domain games out there. So lots of space things out there. I've got games on the shelf that I wanted to get into, and at least now I know that with X and so on, that there is a good game there, so it is worth going through the pain. Because you talked about games where, uh, Glenn talked about games where there's that, that difficulty curve, you don't take to it right away. Yeah. And the problem with that is you, you're always thinking to yourself, I'm not enjoying this now. Is this really a good game? Is it worth me putting all this effort in? Or is it going to be rubbish anyway? At least now with the with reviews and so on, we can find out it's a it's worthwhile. It's a good game. It's true. Right. Do we have a question of the week for this week. What's I the question? Think, I think we do. Um, <laughs> and it's one that we we would have very little to say on, but I thought let's put it in anyway because it's got a following. Give us your Tandy memories. And that could be the machines, the shops, uh, and if it was Retro Shack for you, throw that in. We don't care. Um, yep, anything and everything, Tandy. Radio Shack, not Retro Shack. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, it wouldn't be Retro Shack back then, would it? <laughs> <laughs> we should open a shop called Retro Shack. Oh, that would be – and they could sell um, D23 connectors. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to le- reading – what our North American listeners think about Tandy and so on Radio Shack because that's something we, we didn't really have as much of. Anyway, thank you for listening. Um, you can go to www.reddit.com slash r slash this week in retro to participate. Or of course, the links are in the show notes. Is that as we finished? I think we're done. Is that the, the episode's over. <laughs> Thanks for I'm listening. Waving. Chris is waving. Chris is waving. Bye. See you next week. Invisible dots waving. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available to your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.